C'è la luna mezza mare, mamma mia, mamma redare. Welcome, everybody. It's another Hollywood Godfather podcast. And tonight we have a very special friend and guest. Without this gentleman, I don't think Pat Picciarelli, who's with me tonight, Megan, our book called Hollywood Godfather would be what it is. And it just so happened that this weekend, my interview with our guest hit a million two hundred thousand views. Let me all introduce you all to Patrick Bed David. How are you, my man? I'm doing really good, man. How you doing? Well, we're doing great now that you're here. It's a special hey, Patrick, anniversary. Well, that's a I'm name I'm not going to forget anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> Say that again. It's a good one. I said, that's a name I'm not going to forget anytime soon. I, I, I give credit to my mom and my dad. My mom wanted to name me Sasha. And oh. because my mother's family's from Russia. And my dad said, uh, we're not going to name my son Sasha. He's going to be Patrick. Because, uh, you know, when I joined the army and I look the way I do, I got a big nose. I got big ears. I'm a full-on Middle Eastern-looking guy. My uh, drill sergeant pulled me over one day. He says, look. We were having a conversation earlier. Everybody's saying, this guy's name is not Patrick. You look more like a Mohammed than a Patrick. I said, I <laughs> promise you, my name is Patrick. So uh, it is a name I'm with, Patrick Bedeva. But Gianni, you're too kind to give that compliment about the book. Obviously, we wouldn't have gotten 1.2 million views with your crazy stories that you have. Uh, I go to places, and, and they'll stop me, and they'll say, I have to tell you, favorite interview. I said, what? Gianni Russo. Favorite wow. interview, Gianni. I get it all the time. So well, that's a big compliment because you. you have some great guests, man. Uh, how many people have you interviewed since you have your podcast? I I don't know the number, but if I had to guess, I'd say probably a little over a hundred. Is, is oh. I think with the numbers, probably over a hundred guests at this point. One ten, wow. 115, something like that. How long have you been doing the podcast? Uh, I, I've had the YouTube channel since. Um, since January of 2013, and we started doing interviews two years ago. The first one that we did was with uh, Michael Francis, and that was in January of 2018. And then we started doing interviews. So you figured if you do the math, it's one a week times two years. It's probably going to be around 110, you know, 130, some number like that. That's well, wrong. let me ask you this. I mean, you're a successful businessman. You have all kinds of things going for you. Why did you want to start a podcast? Well, it's not a podcast. So for well, me, I, what, I, yeah. what I wanted to do was years ago, here's what happened to me. It's a great question you're asking, by the way. Today, uh, if you're running a company, if you're an employee, if you're a salesperson, if you're an actor, if you're a singer, whatever you're doing, um, you are responsible for your brand to control the narrative. And what do I mean by this? So for me, uh, I just finished up our book with Simon & Schuster. The book's titled Your Next Five Moves. It'll be coming out on June 30th, Your Next Five Moves. And it's uh, how to master the you know, art of strategy. And while we're going through this, question was asked, why, why do you want to create content? I said, look, you got two brands today uh, that you're building. One is the company's brand, and the other one is your brand. People are interested to know the story behind the founder and the entrepreneur, right? That's what they're interested in. So one of the part motivation was that. The other motivation was... Uh, nowadays, you know, anybody can say anything about you. Defamation of character right now is big on any kind of business you're a part of. One of the best ways to do, when I left the company and I became a competitor, and at that time I had a small office in Northridge, California, with 66 insurance agents, and now we have 14,000 agents nationwide. In a marketplace, in the insurance and the financial industry, they're not happy about me because we went from selling 
50 policies a month. And this month, with the craziness that's going on, we're going to have our best month we've ever had. We've already sold 5,000 policies. The next two days, we're going to get another 2,000. That'll be 7,000 insurance policies. It's a record for us to do that. So the marketplace is not happy about that. What the platform of creating content did, it allowed the viewer to judge you with their own eyes. They look at you, they watch you, they consume the content, and they say, you know what? I don't like this guy. Or they consume and they say, I like this guy. And the last reason I'll give you is the reason why Barack Obama and Donald Trump are presidents today. I'll tell you why. Back in uh, 2007, uh, Ron Paul ran for office. I think he was in his early 70s. Not Ron Paul, Ron Paul, the father. He ran for office. And... uh, he on MySpace, within a 24-hour period, raised $6 million. In 24 hours on MySpace, raised $6 million. And a one-term senator saw that and said, wait a minute. If this man can raise $6 million on MySpace in 24 hours, I'm going to be the president of the United States. Obama raised a couple billion. He became a president off of Facebook, off of YouTube. And then we all know, if you take Twitter, uh, Donald Trump's not the president today. So uh, social media <laughs> plays a very, very big role. A uh, very big role today. And if you're not on it, you're kind of uh, hurting yourself because today we're all naked. And if you're too worried about what people think about you, if they're going to like you or they're not going to like you. If you know 50 people, odds are 25 of them are not going to like you. If you know 5,000 people, odds are 2,500 people are not going to like you. And if you have a million people that follow you, odds are 500,000 are not going to like you. You can't win everybody over, but at least your message is going to get bigger if you can create content. So that's why I created content. Excellent. So what made you want to start doing interviews particularly? Uh, so 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 let me so here's who I was as a kid. I was the guy that always asked weird questions. Okay, always weird questions. You know, my, like my dad would be like, "Why do you ask questions like that? Like who cares what those questions?" I always wanted to know motivations or motives behind why people did what they did. I was always curious, you know. Uh, even as a kid, I may have had a 1.8 GPA in high school. But I was the guy that you would uh, walk. Uh, I had like a group of people that would walk with me from school to home because we had a 30-minute walk. And I would say, so let me ask you a question. You have four options on who you can be in your life. You can be the president of the United States, okay? And you're the most powerful person because you run the world. You can be the richest man in the world. You can be the best-looking guy or girl in the world. You can be the greatest athlete, Michael Jordan. You can be Barry Bonds at that time, or you can be Michael Jackson. Who would you want to be? Ryan was, oh my gosh, I would want to be. Tell me why. Why would you want to be that? And why would? Why not this? Why? Why president? Why not the billionaire? Why the billionaire? Why not president? Why the athlete? And it was always curious. So when I went in the military, I would always start asking questions. And then when I started selling memberships, I started doing really well selling gym memberships and. You know, a bigger part was because I would actually ask the people that would come to the gym questions. So tell me, why are you trying to get in shape? Because I want to get in shape. Give me the real reason why you're trying to get in shape. I'm telling you, I'm trying to get in shape. Come on now. If you're really going to get in shape, there's got to be a real big motivation. Well, in three months, there's a wedding I'm going to. My ex is going to be there. Boom! There you, there you go. That's <laughs> why you want to get in shape. I like there's it. Always, there's always let's a reason. Let's get you in shape and let's make your ex be jealous. How about it? I like it. Well, here's what we got. <laughs> Then I would go give the tour to Jim, and then we would work together. So then when you come into interviews, you know, I just kind of went back and saw what intrigued me the most, what kind of stories intrigued me the most. And I said, I want to interview people on topics that I'm interested in. And then obviously it led to what it is today. So why Wait, let me ask you this question. First, no, my uh, question. let's tell the audience that this is totally unrehearsed, unscripted. You don't have any questions. It's all off the cuff because that's what we do. 
So mm-hmm. that said, uh, in the business world, this is a broad area, naturally. Who do you admire the most? It's going to take you time to think about this, I, I would think. So, so obviously, you, you, you kind of got to go back and think about the people who did it during times of no innovation. You know, you, you got to go back and kind of think about what the Rockefellers were doing back in the days. You got to think about some of the chases. Franklin is a big name because Franklin, what he did uh, uh, of him being the hustler. And then if you come into new era, you know, the guys that kind of mix things up and they kind of tick people off. Andy Grove, probably for me, of the last 50 years would be at the top of the list. Andy Grove is a guy who uh, 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 is a is a genius with what he did. At one point of the game, everybody was admiring him on what he did in Silicon Valley. Uh, there's another guy named uh, uh, Dana Hears, uh, former CEO, Lawrence Culp, who was the first guy in America that had a $100 million a year salary. I think in 2010, his salary was $103 million or $102 million. And I've spent some time with him at Harvard when I went to one of their programs and the guy's a genius with the way he runs his company. And then you have to look at the guys like Bezos who just doesn't get bored doing the same thing. You know, sometimes the biggest challenge with running a business is boredom. You know, think about us men, right? I know Gianni's only kissed one woman in his life. We all know that. Gianni, well, you know, yeah, yeah. Gianni's, very sh- uh, very shy. Yeah, very person. shy. Not <laughs> yeah. good with women. You know, obviously that's been his challenge. He's had to he never a lot opens of dating up. books, but, but, if you think about men, sometimes, you know, the biggest challenge is what? You mean to tell me the same thing every night for 20 years, 30 years? I don't know if I can do that for marriage, right? The same goes with business. If you think about business, there's an element of the business that you got to kind of do the same thing over and over again and then make some adjustments and pivots. And then you got to be able to do the boring stuff for three years, four years, five years, 10 years. And most cannot do that. Most eventually are like, no, I'm going to try to do this. And now I'm going to go to this business. And now I'm going to go to that business. And then they prevent momentum. So you got to respect what Bezos has done. You got to respect the fact that, you know, Elon Musk is the crazy guy that's always thinking outside the box. And uh, there's a lot of good people right now in the marketplace to see what they've done with business. But those would be some of the names just off the top of my head. You started from scratch, correct? I did. Yeah, my okay, dad was a cashier at a 99 cent store. And my mother... Went back to Iran after we ran out of money. What do you think of, and this, uh, this person isn't in, in, in your realm, uh, isn't in your type of business. Uh, what do you think of Arnold Schwarzenegger? I think he's a beast. And, and I'll tell you why I think he's a beast. I think he's a beast because he's a, you know how in Hollywood they call him triple threats, a guy that can sing, dance, and act? Like Justin right. Timberlake is a triple threat. You know, this guy can uh, do all three. You don't have a lot of people that can do uh, all three. Uh, Will Smith is a triple threat. Will Smith is in a league of his own when you think about it. Here you got Arnold. Goes and becomes arguably the greatest bodybuilder of his era. Wins seven Mr. Olympias. Then goes into Hollywood where eventually he becomes a high. He's not the best actor, but he definitely becomes the highest paid at his time. Making 20 mil a feature that he was getting paid. Then he goes and becomes the governor of California as a Republican, a two-term governor, which he's not really a Republican. He's mm-hmm. more an independent, but he had to kind of run on a side. And then he marries a Kennedy and pretty much gets everything he wants out of his life. You got to kind of applaud the, uh, his level of determination and what he's done. So I think, I think he's a triple threat and somebody, whether you agree with his policies or not, you got to kind of respect what he's done with his life. Yeah, that's, that's why I asked. I just I just read his bio. Uh, he had a, a bit of a real estate empire, too. He was buying up buildings. Uh, so, somehow, when you were talking about your 
life and the way you came up, you remind me of him or vice versa. But you both Patrick's, this is very funny that you put Arnold Schwarzenegger. When Arnold Schwarzenegger came to this country, a gentleman called Jack Gelardi, who was with ICM, who was my agent at the time, I got him after I got the Godfather, he said, I want you to meet this guy. I said, okay, tell him to come to Il Pustai. I used to keep a table on Cannon Drive there. So here comes this guy with his best friend who just passed on. I forgot his name. They came from Colombo. Yeah. Franco Colombo. They came together. Well, they look like two buildings walking down the sidewalk. <laughs> so I had to get two chairs for them each <laughs> to sit with us because it's a small little cafe. I said, uh, are you, are you Mr. Schwarzenegger? Yes, I am. I said, uh, well, Jack Gelati wanted me to talk to you. He said, I, I love your work. I says, thank you, because The Godfather just came out. I said, what do you want to do here? I want to be actor. I said, are you going to get elocution lessons? He said, Ella what? <laughs> <laughs> but look, as you just pointed out, Patrick, look where this guy went. He's driven. You can't stop him. No, you cannot. That's the one thing you can't teach, man. Let me tell you. Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, I have three kids, and I watch them closely. And the last thing I want to do is impose what I'm interested in to them, right? I always watch to see what they, what they'll get obsessed over. My son, oldest one, everything he wants to get, he gets it through reading books. So I kind of tell him, "What do you want? I want that Lego, two books. I want that video game, ten books. I, everything is through books. The currency in our house is books, right?" Well, and I saw I that you and him did a 1,300-piece set, logo set this, this did you weekend. you see that? That was really 1300 cool. 1,300 pieces. That, a Star Wars thing. Yeah, it was, it was really cool. So now my middle son, the other day, he comes to the office here, and he competes with my older son on who can make the most baskets. And he's never shot basketballs, baskets before. So, so he comes in, and his brother had made 21 before, his older brother, and he's six years old. His older brother's eight. So I say race to 21. So his brother's at 20, he's at 15, okay? He gets ticked off, and he starts crying, and he runs off. He hates losing, right? I said, listen, you're either going to come here, or I'm going to send you home, but you're going to compete. Whether you lose or not, you got to give your best. So he comes in. Then I said, who tells you you lost? You still got five. You can catch up. Kid makes six shots in a row, goes to 21, then beats his brother 21 to 20. Uh, 20. Then he goes 20 to 23. Then I said, okay, now you can go and read the book or watch a video uh, with your kid, uh, with your brother at the office. He says, I want to go to 30. I said, okay, after 30, you can go have some water. He hits 30. I want to go to, his brother stopped over. I want to go to 40. This kid's driven. You can go to 40, but you can stop. No, no, I want to go to 50. He makes 102 shots that day at the office. I never told him to do it. Baskets or shots? Yeah, 100, he made 102 shots. Those are the markers when you kind of sit there and you say, you can't, you can't teach the drive part. No matter what, you can teach a lot. You can teach somebody how to sell. You can teach somebody how to come up with good ideas. You can teach somebody how to write a script. You can teach a lot of people to do a lot of different things. Man, that fire Arnold has and some people have, if a guy gets something like that and you can invest and partner with somebody like that, that person's going straight to the top. Yeah, think, about, think about it with some of these guys 40 years ago where they're on camera, behind closed doors, people that you and I don't know about. They said Donald Trump's going to be the president one day. I, I had a girl that came right here from Cambridge Analytica. Okay, you guys know Cambridge Analytica. Sure. So yeah. the, the guys that really, the whole campaign, everything. She hates Trump. She comes over here. She says to me, she's 14 years old. She's a phenom. 
She's a whistleblower, but she's a phenom mm-hmm. where she's going places. And her mom and dad are, you know, one of them's working at military intelligence, pretty connected people. She's going to private school and she knows she's eventually going to be at politics. She goes to a city because she's out of uh, 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 Chicago. I think it's Lincoln Park or some city like that. And there's a speech being given by a guy in 2002, 2003. She goes, listen to this guy speak. There's only 29 people in the room. She's one of the 29 at 14 years old. The guy that spoke was a guy named Barack Obama. She said, I watch him saying this guy's going to be the president one day. Wow. <laughs> you, you, they, way before some people become somebody and you taste their ambition and their fire and the look in the eyes, you'll know to say that person's got the twinkle. This guy's not going to stop. And Arnold had it. If you read the book, she did it at fourteen. I read the book. Yeah. dude, right there. No, he. Uh, I mean, I've always been a fan, but I never realized the the obstacles that he that that he, he surmounted. The guy never quit. He lost. He failed numerous times. He just never ever quit. Uh, I, I give people like that and you because you're like that. A lot of credit. Given the state of this country now, what we're going through in these last few weeks, uh, I don't want to pin you down or anything, but have your have your opinion of this country and the people in it changed? No, not at all. No. Uh, we are still living in the greatest country on the planet. I mean, it's not even uh, it's not even close. You know, the worst day in America is still better than the best day in many different countries. Let me say that one more time. The yeah. worst day in America is still better than the best days in many different countries. There are people right now that go to sleep every night praying to have a social security number in America, praying for a social security number, something you and I don't even think about, that they would do anything to have a social because everybody wants to be in America. That's why they call it the American dream. They don't call it the Russian dream. They don't call it the Chinese dream. There's only one Mm. country that ends with the dream, and that's America. Now, as far as where we are today, look. I talked to my dad. He's 77 years old, and he's worried. I could be your dad. Yeah. I'm 77. <laughs> Same age, 42. So I talked to my dad. He's worried. My, you know, I, I said, I, he says, Pat, I'm worried. I said, okay. I said, what are you worried about? He says, what the hell is going on? I said, Dad, let me ask you a question. In your, when, when war happened in Iran and we got bombed on by Saddam Hussein, how old were you? He said, I was 44. I said, from the day you were born to 44, had you ever been bombed on before? 167 times in a day. He says, never. I said, when you started getting bombed on, how did you handle it? He said, to the best of my abilities. I said, I watched you as a six-year-old kid. You never cried. My strength and peace came from looking at you, knowing everything was going to be okay. I said, how many times did you think you were going to lose your family, your wife, your kids, when we were getting bombed, and he says, every single second of the day. I said, are we okay today? He said, we're okay today. I said, well, it's me now. I'm 41 years old. I've never been through a pandemic like this before, but I got to handle it the same way. And well, you survived. You survived yeah, because I, yeah, of his strength. That's right. Yeah. So I said, you're 77 now. You're going through it for the first time. But look, we just got to do our part to be uh, take the take the responsible decisions. But also at the same time, I think we're going to get through it. Obviously, you guys are in New York. And New York's taking a hit in a complete different way than anybody else. And, and I, you know, I, I just feel like the right governor's in place. I don't know why. I kind of I, I feel Cuomo's is uh, bringing uh, uh, confidence in. If you ask me politically, I don't think about it in situations like this. It's a terrible thing to use politics uh, because uh, 
if you use politics right now to bash people that you disagree with, you're not thinking of it the right way. Uh, you you got to look at it from who's staying poised on camera. And every single time Cuomo gets on camera, he looks more and more presidential than any of the Democratic candidates we have today. Uh, you know, the marketing team of Joe Biden's trying to get him off TV as much as they can. And the marketing team of Cuomo is trying to get him on TV more and more because the more and more he gets on, the more and more confident New York gets. That's kind of what they need. So where we are today are weird times, but I foresee this thing within it because here's where my confidence comes from. Let me tell you where my confidence comes from. My confidence comes from the following place. I believe if you put money people with brain people in the same room together, they fix things. I've got the brains. You've got the looks. Let's make lots of money. Remember that song back in the days? Well, it's more like the scientists got the brains. The entrepreneurs have the money. Let's solve coronavirus. That's kind of what's going on right now. If it's catchy put, too, man. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if we put the scientists and the entrepreneurs together, they're going to fix it. I trust I trust scientists and I trust entrepreneurs because they have the right motivation. So I don't know. You know, people think I'm crazy, but I just think everything's going to be all right. And I think some of the greatest leaders of 10, 20, 30 years from now are being born in this era. I told this the other day. I said, it's talking to a scientist and a neuroscientist. I think that's what they Neuropsychologist, neuro something. I had her here. And so she showed me all this stuff about brains. I said, let me ask you a question. How much does a personality and the temperament of a kid have to do with when the parents conceive the child? She said, excuse me? I said, let me ask the question one more time. How much does the temperament of a child have to do with when mom and dad conceive? What are you asking? Let me explain to you what I'm asking. So think about it. If mom and dad conceive the kid at a time when war is happening, you got the juice of fear anxiety, uncertainty, panic, anger, frustration, all combined together, and boom, you make a baby. That baby's born with fire. That, that, that baby's born with, you know, no wonder you meet all these Middle Easterns. They're such hotheads. Why are, why are they such hotheads? They, 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 they're born in a time with war. You know, I think today you're going to get some people who get through these times in the next month, two months, three months, I think five, ten years from now, we're going to hear a lot of success stories of future leaders, governors, presidents, based on how they handle things today because we want people of poise. And the only way we develop the muscle of poise is we need crisis. It's just how it works out. Oh, we will definitely be stronger because of war. I, I fully agree. Yeah. I just hope we also don't become stronger. I also hope, I hope the Republicans and Democrats go like this. I hope they go like this. I hope they go like this, if that makes sense. Like, if they're far right... And uh, far on the radio, right, not much sense. I hope they go like this. If the Republicans and Democrats are far right, Republicans, yeah. far left, Democrats, I hope we go a little bit more to the center to be a little bit more united and understand that at the end of the day, man, you may like the Yankees, I may like the Red Sox, but look, uh, I'm team human, I'm team people, and you are as well. Let's try to figure out a way to work together. If we do that, America will be a stronger nation. So... To switch gears a little bit, how did you and Gianni get together? How, how did he wind up on your show? Gianni, how did we get together? Uh, I, you called me. I don't know how we did it. You called me wanting to come with a camera <laughs> well, this crew. This is a good question. <laughs> That's a great well, question. Mario, we, we don't even have the answer now. <laughs> Mario, how, how did we get hooked up with Gianni? How, how do we, do you remember, was it, how do we get hooked up? Was Alan, was it Alan or was it Macintosh? How, 
man, I can't even think about how we got connected together. Thank God we but did. <laughs> here's what I can tell you. We were in New York, and Gianni said, just come over. Huh? I, I don't know. If All I can tell you is the moment Gianni and I spoke, no one around us existed. Hmm. You know? I mean, I just I was just enamored by, his, by him and his story and his charisma. You know, Gianni's got enough energy to light up a city. You know that. I mean, he can light oh, sure. up a city just with his charm and charisma, storytelling, and the way he is. Uh, I don't know how we got connected. I'm just glad we did. Me too. Yeah, you know, I watched that interview. You could tell there was nobody else in, in, in the universe. You guys had chemistry, the questions, the answers, the, the comebacks. I we mean, did an hour and 28 minutes watched, straight out. <laughs> yeah, I've, watched, I've watched several of your shows. Uh, to interview somebody for over an hour takes talent on both sides. I mean, have you ever had, have you ever interviewed somebody, you know, the cameras are rolling, and all of a sudden you can't get something out of somebody? Oh, are you kidding me? Let me, <laughs> so I, if, if my interview with somebody goes 30 to 45 minutes, it just means I am not enjoying myself. That's all mm -hmm. that means. Yeah. And I've done, I've done probably three of those. Am I correct? I can't give you a name. I'm just not going to give it to you <laughs> because he's known worldwide. But I had zero in after the first 20 minutes of sitting. And here's how it typically takes place. What's so weird is the level of interest starts pre-camera being on. Let me say that one more time. The level of interest and connection starts pre-camera being on. Do you do any prep? No. We just the first kinda... time, when you interview somebody, it's the first time you saw them. No, we don't. We don't give questions. Oh, we, do I do prep? Oh, I do a lot of prep. No, not hey. you. I mean, do you like call a person up and say, "This is what we're going to talk about"? Yes. No. 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 That, that's that's exactly what we do. It's all off the cuff. Yeah, I don't. I, and yeah. I don't. Oh, by the way, some people want to do that. Like we had a guy that came in the other day, uh, uh, and we sat down with him and we spoke to him, and he was freaking out. I said, "So can I get the list of the question?" We're like, "No." Why not? <laughs> it's not what we do. The spontaneity you know, makes it work. That, this is the wrong channel for you. Right. Uh, but no, we don't do that. We we have a lot of questions, and we try to get through 70% of the questions. Obviously, typically, we don't get through all of them, but uh, our goal is to get through 70% of the questions. No, but I think, I mean, I have not gone anywhere in the world. I would say out of eight or 10 people come up to me, they met me through Patrick Bet David's. Valuetainment. We've gotten a lot of messages saying that. We get a lot of mailbag about that interview. Thank you yeah. again. And obviously, uh, you made the book a hit, which is now. Johnny, there are many teenage boys and young adults that are envious of you <laughs> because of one part of the story. Yeah, I know. You know, I'm at a restaurant the other day. It's Del Frisco's and the, and the, and the what do you call it? The, um, the uh, valet guy stops me. He says, let me ask you a question. I said, yes. Do you really think that story with Gianni at the bathtub happened with Marilyn Monroe? I said, I don't know. Why don't you ask him? I wasn't there. He says, man, because that's a story right there. Can you imagine that? I had another guy. I'm at this place, uh, Mesomayo, uh, 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 and, the, and, the bar, and the waiter comes up and he stops and says, Pat, I don't miss your interviews, but I have watched Gianni five, six times on repeat because I can't just watch it one time. There's too many stories there. So obviously, uh, like I said earlier, man, there's a lot of interest with the stories. Well, the stories. I, you, I don't know if Gianni ever uh, ever told you this, but we wrote that entire book over the phone. 
Wow. I never well, met him. Where are you based out of? Are you, are you in New York? Or, or? Well, I'm a retired NYPD lieutenant, but I've been living outside of Pittsburgh for the last 27 years. But I had I, I never met Gianni until maybe eight months after that the, the book was written. We did the whole thing uh, speaking on the phone almost every night. But, but you know, when you get so somebody like that, and it just clicks, and it's just it's a it's a different type of personality. I mean, it's it's difficult enough to talk to somebody sitting down face to face and uh, uh, getting a a factual story out of them, but doing this on the phone for for six straight months, so I can understand what you're saying when you when you have that electricity during an interview, and people come up to you a year later and they're still talking about it. And again, it it's it as good of the stories I have, the way you interviewed me, the interest, the topics, and I've never in my life, and I've done in 77 years, I don't know how many hours of television with so many greats, but the questions you asked, we just clicked, and it flowed, and it, it's, I, I get, again, as I, when we opened the show, this Sunday, we hit a million two hundred thousand views. That's insanity. People are That's going to get to five million it. within eighteen months. It's, That's it's, amazing. It's amazing, though. It's going to get to five million in eighteen. And by the way, we put the link on the video, right? The link is the book link is on that video, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. We. Put, and by the way, Mario just found out we got connected through Alan, one of our bookers. So, uh, uh, if Alan's listening to this, thank you, Alan, for making an introduction <laughs> to Gianni. Yeah, please. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that worked out. Yeah. Hello. Sure did. Patrick, other than Gianni, who have been some of your most intriguing or rewarding in interviewees that you've had? Well, I mean, I have to put Kobe there because Kobe, uh, uh, when when I interviewed Kobe, it was in front of 7,000 people uh, where I had 100 security guards there because I had President Bush following Kobe and we had Secret Service galore everywhere. So there was a very, it was a very technical interview and that interview was picked up by First Take, TMZ, uh, it ended up getting 100 million views, and we got message. We it, we got licenses requested for usage from BBC, from Europe, from Central America, South America, from Middle East, from NBC, CBS, ESPN. Everybody shared that interview, and that was a, that was a great one. Sammy the Bull Gravano was a unique one uh, when when Sammy and I sat down together because Sammy, the first time I talked to Sammy, Sammy was furious. With a couple of the interviews I had done, furious. How dare you, this motherfucker? How did they? They're not telling the truth. I tell you, and he went off. Sammy oh, wow. was Sammy. So, uh, first time Sammy and I spoke, I think he had just come out of jail. He had just uh, uh, gotten out, and obviously I was trying to get an interview, an exclusive, because he had only done one interview in his life was with Diane Sawyer in '94, and he was not going to do it with just anybody. Wow. So he said, no, hell no, I'm not going to do nothing. So we went a year and three months with him saying no. Finally, one of his guys, um, who's a very successful business guy, you know, worth a few hundred million out of, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, uh, Silicon Valley, he told him that, uh, uh, look, this is a channel I follow. If there's anywhere you got to do the interviews with these guys. And then we did the interview. And then obviously Sammy, when we met together face-to-face -face two times before the interview, there was a connection, and then he felt comfortable to do the interview. And I said, Sammy, I have to ask you all the questions. He says, you do what you got to do. You know, and I, I may not answer him. I said, you can do whatever you want to do, but I'm going to ask you the questions. So he, he had no idea what you were going to ask him. I told him topics, but I didn't prep him on all the questions I was going to ask him. We kind of went through some of the topics. He did say, uh, 
you know, he didn't want to have anything to be talked about with his family, meaning uh, uh, wife and kids. And I thought I was very appropriate because I don't want to do that anyways, because I don't want to get any of the existing family members members in uh, trouble because we don't want to create that kind of issue. But uh, outside of that, you know, uh, we had a great dialogue together. And so I would say that one, President Bush was a lot of fun, but that one is at the Library of Congress because uh, they did not want that to be public because he didn't want any issues of what he said about Trump and any of that stuff to be public. But the best part about Bush was when before the interview, he and I sat down on the back and we had a good 45 minute question conversation together. And, uh, you know, people who hated Bush when we were doing uh, pictures afterwards, but about 100 of our guys, I stood there just to hear what people said to him. People walked up and they said, you have no idea how much I hated you. I'm a Democrat. I thought you were the anti, I thought you were the worst human being in the world. And I cannot believe how much I like you after today. Such a weird setting, you know, with where he was at. But uh, there's a lot of them. Obviously, Michael Francis, when that thing uh, got picked up, that's about to cross 10 million views. How did you Uh, get him? How did we get him? He doesn't give, he, he gave interviews years ago, but they were short and gone. Yeah, our first interview, that's his biggest interview he's ever done, a single interview that he's done. And uh, that thing got 10 million views. I think afterwards, once he did that, he got a show. He got he got a bunch of different things that happened after that interview. But, uh, you know, uh, the way we got that interview is by a booker of mine out of Peru. A guy that was in Peru that escaped U.S., he's the one that connected us together. And we did the interview on December 23rd, and we went live with it on January 3rd. We had no idea what was going to happen with it because Valuetainment is the number one channel on YouTube for entrepreneurs. If you go type in the word entrepreneur and then you go filter it for channel and views, it's the number one channel for entrepreneurs. So now it's also the number one channel for mobsters, which is Adam G. Those two, man. <laughs> you know, it is. What, what a I combination. A NYPD guy here that's, uh, well, this, you know, there's a fine line. Guys. Johnny and I often talk about this. There's a fine line between cops and gangsters. And I'm not talking about anything other than personality. Hmm. You know, uh, the, you know, cops and, and, and gangsters have, have this affinity, this mutual respect. Uh, Patrick, but, did you ever watch the interview with uh, Bernard Carrick or no? Uh, no, but I uh, knew Bernie Carrick. He appeared in, in one of my books called uh, Whiteout. I think you would like that interview, especially you. I think oh. you would like that interview. I'm, I'm, I'm going to definitely check it out. He you have just, to keep uh, that in mind. Yeah, he was just in the news the other day. Uh, he was. The, he the, was. The, the he got pardoned. Him. He got pardoned. Yeah, the yeah. first words out of his mouth is, I can carry a gun again. <laughs> he just wasn't used to being unarmed, you know. But I tell you, man, he was the right guy to run it, though. You needed a personality like that to be able to run the jails and to run the, the system. You can't have a guy that's afraid of everybody. You know, no. when, you, when you're when you're in that community where you're dealing with rough, rough people, you you need somebody that no one's afraid of. Uh, I know some people disagree with it, but I felt you know he was a he was the right guy for it. You know, the person uh, that I uh, that I wrote the book about was an undercover narcotics cop and Bernie Carrick was his partner. Mm-hmm. So that's how he figured in the book. So I had to talk to him. Well, the, t- the two Pat- Patrick, first of all, I'm going to put you on the spot. We need more time, man. We're out of time already. Can we do this again? Oh, with you guys, absolutely, man. Absolutely. All right. No question. Well, we're going to end this sequence and... You got to do it again. All Let's, right. Let's All do right, it. my friend. Yeah, yeah, this has been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank Patrick. you so much. Thank, Thank you, you, Patrick. Uh, please. 
Okay, it's time to go to the mailbag. All right, let's I do love it. the mailbag. <laughs> <laughs> we got some good stuff today. So, first message is from Jeannie. She has a little note for each of us. Jeannie says, I absolutely love this podcast. Megan, I'm so jealous. What I'd do to have a seat with all of you. You have a beautiful voice, truly pleasant to listen to. It's so wonderful to have a millennial with such great poise and graciousness to listen to. This is such a neat thing you get to be a part of. You are a class act. I can see why Gianni was drawn to you and must what and what must be amazing parents. Thank you. That's wow, very wow, sweet. Nice. That's great. Wow. I know. That was very, very sweet. Next one. Oh, absolutely. Patrick, thank you for writing this amazing book with Gianni. I'm going to download Bloodshot Eyes to listen to on my hour-long drive back and forth to work. Gianni, I love your voice, your stories, and your humor. I'm from Utah and hear all of your great oh my guest God, appearances Utah. and shows. She must be in culture you, shock listening to me. <laughs> <laughs> she said, do you plan to come to Utah anytime soon? Um, she said, I heard on a different podcast somewhere that Frank Sinatra's son was kidnapped. I don't recall ever hearing you mention that. So my first thought was that it's not true. I love the book. Can't wait to listen to it again. I look forward to the podcast every week. Thank you. And you're Very right. sweet message. Frank Sinatra's son was not kidnapped. He staged it himself. His father wanted to kill him when he did that. Oh, my gosh. Really? Yeah. yeah. Those guys went to jail. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, not long. I think that's four years, right? Yeah, the guy that worked with them to collaborate on it. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, wait, what? Why? Because he, he thought it would become a star for publicity. Wow. Yeah. Oh, I've never heard about that before. That's crazy. Because well, you know why? That's Jesse Smollett. was so stupid. Oh, yeah, Hello. true. Yeah. You're right. All right. So, next one is from James. James says, I've been listening since the very beginning and never miss a show, usually listening on my way to and from work as a barber. So I keep the keep up the extremely good work, and I look forward to watching the television movie of the book whenever that airs. Here's my question. I'm from Gravesend, UK, which is a small town on the outskirts of southeast London, and I recently discovered that there's also a neighborhood in Brooklyn that shares the same name. I wonder if both Gianni or Pat had any stories from this neighborhood, the people who lived there, the crimes committed, etc. It'll be interesting to know what differences or similarities these namesake towns share. You ever heard of it? Not me. What, what's the name again? What's, what's the name, Megan? Gravesend in Brooklyn. Gravesend. Oh, okay. That's, what, yes. that's how, they, how they say it in Brooklyn. <laughs> okay, got it. Sorry, I'm not from Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's in uh, uh, South Brooklyn. It's a small neighborhood. It's uh, used to be primarily Italian, but everything used to be primarily Italian in Brooklyn. Not anymore. Uh, Gravesend is residential. Very nice area in Brooklyn. Oh, really? Know anything about the crimes or anything like that? It was a um, it was a mob residence type area for a while. Not anymore, I would think. Yuppies moved in. Mm. All right. Uh, Next one is from Anthony. Anthony says, I would like to know if Patrick knows Frank Serpico and what did Patrick know about the corruption of the NYPD in the late 60s through the 1970s? Uh, yeah, this question was asked once before. Oh. Uh, uh, Frank Serpico, for those of you who don't know who he is, he... Uh, played a big part exposing corruption in the NYPD, which led to the Knapp Commission hearings in the early 1970s. Yeah, I knew him, uh, and not to be redundant, if you want to hear an extensive answer about Frank Serpico, just go back a couple of episodes, uh, because I, I talked like five minutes on this guy. I don't want to do it again for those who are going to hear it a second time. Okay. But yeah, I, I knew Serpico. 
All right. Next one is from Tim. Tim says, thanks for answering my last question that sparked the wild Dean Martin wife story in the gold watch. I was wondering if Gianni had any stories about Toots Shore. Thank you so much. Keep up the great work. Toots Toots Shore is my friend, man. Toots Toots? Shore. He used to to own. In fact, the best way to answer that is there is a documentary called Toots that his granddaughter produced and Frank Gifford's in it. I'm in it. Uh, I, I lent, I actually let Toots Shore, I think I was like 20 years old, $3 million to rebuild the Toots Shore that he wanted to rebuild. And with the idea, we give him three, takes two, and he owes us three. So the government was trying to set us up, which statute of limitations, that's long gone now. And they, they caught him coming back from Europe. And they said, there's a million dollars missing from your loan. Where is it? Why wasn't it deposited? And he said, are you kidding me? I just spent three months in Europe. You think that's cheap? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. That was Toots. Toots. That's interesting. Toots. All right. Next one is from Anita. Anita says, Gianni, I saw an article on Yahoo Finance about a private meeting between you and Jacob Galea. What was that like? A waste of time. Really? <laughs> Jacob Galea is the... Jacob Galea, to, uh, if I had to say it in a few words, Jacob Galea is trying to be the Patrick Ben David of Australia. And hmm. I'll leave it not, at that. Well, not working out, right? Well, it, not working out because I had a dinner with him and I, I wanted to meet the guy and I met him. And, uh, but I, I'm, I'm very uh, uh, intuitive or astute enough to realize the jet planes he's on, he don't own. The cars and the boats, he don't own. He's trying oh. to build an entrepreneurish type of situation where he can make you, you know, like a Patrick B. David with value taming, but in Australia. So the first thing I told him, I said, how are you going to get clients? They're going to fly 23 hours for all these seminars like Patrick B. David. I mean, he gets thousands of people show up. You're not going to do that in Australia. And I mean, I just, I don't want to throw the guy under the bus, but he, he's, he don't have it. Mm. You know, How did you get in touch with him originally? He got in touch with us. He became a big mm. fan of ours, the book and all of that. And he mm. flew here to meet with me, which I felt bad, but I felt that he is who he is. Only to find out later on, some friends of mine... Yeah, so not only that, some friends of mine from Australia, because he was exploiting me in Australia. And they called me, they said, what are you doing with this guy? And that's why I changed my mind. All right. But anyway. Okay, next one is from Jamie. Jamie says, Gianni, you obviously have an incredible sense of style. What are your favorite pieces of wardrobe you've accumulated over the years? We, that's uh, a 90 minute special. Oh, come on. You got to give some. Well, I mean, I just, I love fur coats. I, I'm sure animal rights people are going to hate that. I, I love great jewelry. I mean, I have some classics. I mean, I have some vintage Valentino tuxedos. I would never give them up. And that's that kind of stuff. To me, they were, they were like trophies, like the, the watch I wear. I saw it in the window at Van Cleef and Arpel. When I was 13, 
I owned it by the time I was 17. I don't want 100 watches. I wanted this watch because I raised the money by selling ballpoint pens and other things, and I went and got the, pen, the, the watch. And, uh, mm. and the guy who owned it was Johnny Agnelli, hello, Fiat Motor Company. And he gave it to me. I couldn't buy it from him. So those, those oh, are wow. kind of, to me, they're, they're, they're moments of my success as I grew up. They're benchmarks. Mm-hmm. All right. Next one is from Lucas. Lucas says, Patrick, what was it like writing with Jimmy the Wags? You know, that was uh, that was my first published book, and I had this idea in my head. And this guy, uh, the book is out of print, but you can still find copies on Amazon. Very unique individual. We work together in the PD. I'm in the book, but I disguise myself. Uh, it's his, uh, a true story of his life. And a, a lot of it was uh, was tragic. But if you know anything about cops and police work, you know that there's a history of a lot of black humor. And that's exactly how I wrote the book. It was funny as hell. And that's what gained the interest of uh, publishers. Jimmy, uh, I'm still in contact with him. We've been friends for 30 years. He's a cancer survivor now, living with his family on Staten Island, doing great. Is he a black guy? No, it's uh, Jimmy Wagner. They call him Wags. Oh no! But why? why so I, I didn't know what you meant by the the black humor. You wrote the book with dark humor. Oh, dark humor. Oh, dark humor. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. Mm, got it. I thought you were doing uh, some of uh, uh, who, who's that new black kid? Uh, the funny kid, the loose short kid. There's a lot of comedy. Kevin Hart. Yeah, Kevin Hart. Okay. When did you oh. say short? That's what gave it away. Of course, <laughs> <laughs> gave, it, gave it away. <laughs> He's so funny. All right, next one is from Mark. Mark says, I'm quite confident that Hollywood Godfather will be made into motion pictures someday. And like many of us, I will be lining up to see it. My guess is that the film may feature several generations of The Kid, primarily Costello's eager young Aaron Boy turned trusted resource and Hollywood actor. Two, the more mature Gianni Russo, Vegas club guy, ladies' man extraordinaire, cartel killer, Vatican bank connector, and trusted friend of the underworld. And three, lastly, the Gianni Russo we know today, played by the man himself. Question. Megan, out of all the young Hollywood talent today, who would you see playing the young Gianni Russo? And Pat, what actor would you see cast as the older Gianni Russo? Rules. Gianni cannot cast himself in all three parts. (laughs) This is a very thought-out message. Yeah, I can tell you. I'll say I tell you, it's very well the, the, done. The young too. one, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, I would think. Yeah, young. me too. Wait, the, that question was to her, though. You, oh, were, sorry, you were asked who's going to be the older one. So Megan, who'd young, you want? Who the, the young kid turned Hollywood actor that type era. I think right now one of the biggest um, young male actors is Timothy Chalamet. I know he's like a skinny little kid, but I feel like if he was put in the right costume and the hair and makeup, whatever, he could pull it off. When we're off the edge, send me send a picture because we're we're in that position right now. That yeah, name, he's, that he's name young. He's definitely up. a younger looking character. I want to see but it. Yeah, send me a Where picture. would we know him from? Oh, gosh. Um, I don't know if you guys would know him from. Oh, he was in the re- most recent Little Women. Oh, I saw that. Yes, he played the young kid. I didn't even see it. I don't know. Oh, okay. Um, there, I was only the one, there, there was only one young male uh, semi-lead. He was in love with one of the sisters. And That's exactly it, who it, it is. It was I an unrequited the, type of thing. He married exactly. I forget actor. what the character is, but yeah, he's yeah, a great yeah, actor. Yeah, really good actor. The old uh, uh, and, and older Gianni, uh, I, I'm at a loss, really. 
How about you, Johnny? Who would you pick to play you? Well, with it's game? interesting because uh, we just sent it out to the guy that we're reconsidering because he had a, he had an interest a while ago, Mark Wahlberg. Oh, oh wow. yeah, yeah. So that's where he's got it right now. Reading it right now, actually. Excellent. Is it really? It's going that far. Oh yeah. Oh no, yeah, no. Yeah. We're, I'm we're not slowing there. down. <laughs> well, I didn't know. It seems like everything's on hold right now. Well, yeah, so but see, sure. what, that's what the good news. We have all their private numbers, so they're all sitting home. Send me anything; we'll read it. <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah, people have the time for yeah. it right now. So everybody has it. So that, that went out that Friday, Friday to Mark and his company. Which good about Mark? He has his own deals everywhere. Right. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all I have for tonight for the mailbag. Well, okay. Well, then we will just call it quits and say goodnight to everybody. Please, as we say every closing, tell your friends we need more, more viewers, more shares. Follow us. We don't want to go anywhere. If you're enjoying mm -hmm. it, we're enjoying it more. So we'll say goodnight, Pat. Goodnight, Megan. Good night, goodnight, Megan. Good night, guys. Bye -bye. Until the next time. If you're feeling sad and lonely, there's a service I could render. I'm the one who loves you only. I could be so warm, so tender. Call me. Don't be afraid, you can call me. Maybe it's late, but just call me. Tell me, and I'll be around. Or when it seems your friends desert you. Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Regarding Gianni's motivational speaking appearances, you can visit his website, giannirusso.com. You can also visit amazon.com for a listing of books Patrick Picciarelli has written. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather Podcast, as well as leave us a review on iTunes. If you'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your emails and voicemails. Good night.